Anne Lamott is an American novelist, and she has one of my favorite conversion stories. She struggled with a lot of things in her life, including depression, and one night was especially difficult. She said that she got in bed, shaky and sad, too wild to have another drink, and she wanted to take another sleeping pill. She had a cigarette and turned off her light. After a while, as she lay there, she became aware of someone with her, hunkered down in the corner of her room. She said, I just assumed it was my dead father whose presence I had felt over the years when I was frightened and alone, but the feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there, and of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this. She says, and I was appalled. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. Ultimately, Anne Lamott converted and became a Christian. Now, if you're watching this video, uh, you might be a Christian as well. And if you are, I'd like you to think about how you became a Christian. Maybe you grew up in your church and your family had a specific pew you sat in each week. Maybe you got invited by a friend when you were in high school or college and, and you started loving to go to church and you loved what you heard. And when you heard the gospel, you believed it and you became a Christian. Maybe you listened to a famous preacher over the radio or online. Maybe you were at a really low point in life and you slunk into church just desperate for any kind of good news. Maybe you aren't a Christian and you aren't really sure why you're watching this video at all. But whoever you are, if you're a Christian or not, why do we finally make this decision to follow Jesus? For some of us, we would say that we were just overwhelmed by Christ's love for us. We couldn't believe that despite all of the faults we have, that someone would love us and die for us like he did. For others of us, it may be, uh, and you were intellectually convinced, you found security in the unshakable truth of God's existence and his sustaining power over the world. For others, you might have felt guilt and shame because of sin in your life, and you found forgiveness in Christ's death. You found atonement through him. And for many of us who eventually become Christians, it's just a combination of a hundred different factors. But beyond all those factors, I think there's a truth about conversion that we've lost. Many of us speak about our spiritual journeys. We think of ourselves as seekers who are trying to find God. You might know the famous book title, Man's Search for Meaning. But I think there's a, a truth about conversion that goes deeper than that. Sometimes we picture ourselves on an expedition to find new uncharted territory with bravery in our hearts and cunning in our minds. We're going to take all of the risks and go out and find God. If we work hard enough, if we're clever enough, if we're intellectual enough, if we're genuine and authentic enough, we will find God. But I actually think that this is a very limited picture of what really happens when we come to Christ, when we finally have faith in him. 
And the passage we read today will help us zoom out and actually see a fuller picture of what goes on when you find God. The passage we read is from the gospel written by Luke. Luke was a Gentile, a non-Jewish man who was a doctor who became a disciple of Jesus. And he was so disciplined when he wrote the gospel. He interviewed eyewitnesses. He wanted to make sure to get the best possible information on the life of Jesus, especially his earliest days when some of his apostles didn't even know him yet. Most likely, he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, for all the stories coming from uh, his youth. And, and today, we heard the passage in which Luke tells us the story of the presentation of Jesus at the temple. And at first, this story may seem like a story about people searching for and finding God by their own power or goodness. We, we see this, the man named Simeon, who is righteous, who was promised he would see Jesus before he died. He went into the temple looking for Jesus, and he found him. You also might uh, know about Anna, a righteous woman who was already in the temple waiting for Jesus before he even got there. But I think that Luke is actually doing something so much deeper with this story. Luke begins his gospel with a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're old. They've never been able to have kids. And an angel appears to Zechariah to tell him that he will have a son. This son will be named John, and he will prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And Zechariah just can't believe it. He doesn't understand how that could possibly happen. But once his wife gets pregnant, he doesn't really have the option of doubting anymore. That same angel appears to Mary later on in Luke's gospel. This is a young woman living in Nazareth, and the angel says that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. She believes but doesn't really fully understand how it's going to happen, but in fact, she does conceive and give birth to Jesus. Last week, we talked about how the angel uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem, that they were minding their own business when all of a sudden these angels, this army of, of celestial beings appeared to these shepherds to announce the birth of the Messiah. They dropped everything they were doing and found Jesus with Mary. That leads us up to this story, which is about a month after the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph are required by the Torah, the law of Moses, to go through purification rites. Uh, the, the law of Moses says that Jewish mothers were considered ritually unclean after birth, and so you needed to go to the temple, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, and you could be purified. Mothers and fathers were required to consecrate a firstborn to God to say that children are gift from, gifts from God and they ultimately belong to God. So Mary and Joseph do what all mothers, Jewish mothers and fathers would do. They go to the temple with this month-old baby, their firstborn son, and they, they walk into the temple courts and they get ready this sacrifice. Then, right as they walk up to the altar... Right as they approach this sacrifice that every Jewish mother and father would perform, an old man walks up to them. He looks like he's almost in a trance. He's staring at the baby in Mary's arms. Mary and Joseph look at each other like this guy must be crazy. But only a month before, the shepherds in Bethlehem had the same look on their face. Mary intuitively knows that this man has been told somehow about her son, Jesus. 
so she's, she's holding Jesus in her hands and she offers him to this old man, Simeon. He begins to cry. And Simeon says, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Joseph and Mary are dumbstruck. They can't believe that this man is perfectly timed and actually knows who their son is before he even has a conversation with them. The old man turns to them, still tears streaming down his face, and he blesses them. He encourages them. And then, right as Simeon is speaking, another woman walks up to these three people. At this point, Joseph just rolls his eyes and says, who else knows about our son Jesus? Simeon can hardly get the blessing out of his mouth before Anna gives thanks to God. This woman who's been praying and fasting in the temple, she starts calling people over to look at Jesus simply just to behold who this is, the Messiah that they've always been waiting for. Eventually, after the crowd looks at Jesus and delights in him, they slowly begin to fade away and Mary and Joseph finish the ritual that they came to perform in the first place. After they finish that sacrifice, they go back to Nazareth. But all along the way, they're wondering, how did this happen? How did all of these circumstances build up to this moment in the temple where this prophetess and named Anna and this prophet named Simeon all come together at just the right time and just the right place? Now, I don't think that this is a story about people by their own righteousness, by their own cleverness, by their own goodness, finding Jesus on their own terms. In fact, I think Jesus is drawing them to himself. You can see this in uh, both Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. People are not of their own accord searching and finding God. God is drawing them to himself. You see this in the fact that Joseph uh, doesn't know that Mary is giving birth to the Messiah, he has a dream and is told in that dream that his wife is pregnant with Jesus and her, and who is the Messiah. We see that an angel appears to Mary and Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, and the shepherds. This message requires uh, these celestial beings to tell people who don't see this coming. The famous wise men, the magi from the east, see a star that leads them to Jesus a few years after this story. We're told that Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple. If anything, these men and women are not setting out on a spiritual religious expedition. They're not beginning a noble journey without help from God. They aren't crafting a wonderful plan to find a God who is hiding from them. They are minding their own business. When all of a sudden God interrupts, when God does what he wants to do, these men and women are called and divinely interrupted. They're doing their tasks, they're doing their jobs, they're doing something other than an expedition to God, and suddenly, out of nowhere, God calls them. He speaks to them in dreams and visions. He speaks to them through angels and infants. He moves them by his Holy Spirit. He makes promises to them ahead of time. None of these people should be credited with some Herculean effort. Each and every one of them are called. You could even say that God handpicked them before they knew it. 
Think about how in just a few chapters of the Gospel of Luke, God has picked representatives from every possible people group. He picked men, husbands like Joseph and Zechariah. He picked women like Mary and Elizabeth and Anna. He picked a prophet named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna. He picked poor people. He picked rich people. He picked Jews and Gentiles. I don't know if you know this, but the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph make are a sign that they are in poverty. The typical sacrifice for a firstborn consecrating to God and purifying the Jewish mother was a lamb, but Mary couldn't afford it, so there is an allowance in the Torah for two pigeons. This shows that this family is not wealthy, they're not well-to-do, they are poor, and God picks the poor. We see that there's both young and old. Mary was probably a teenager at this point in her late teens, but we also see that Elizabeth and Zachariah and Anna and Simeon are older. Simeon is near death. God picks from each and every people group. He's drawing all of them to Jesus without them necessarily knowing it ahead of time, without any cleverness on their own part, without any righteousness apart from God. God is drawing all of them to Jesus. We also see that God picks Jews and Gentiles. We see that Luke goes out of his way to mention specific tribes from Israel. We see that Mary and Joseph are from the tribe of Judah in the south. We see that Elizabeth and Zechariah are from the priestly tribe of Levi. Anna is from the northern tribe of Asher, which was exiled and destroyed by Assyria. We see Gentiles like the Magi are included in this. All of these people, men and women, rich and poor, young and old, Jew and Gentile, are all drawn to Jesus. It makes you wonder if Paul thought of this passage when he wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, neither male and female, for they are all one in Christ. And that's because they were all drawn to Christ by God. God is initiating this whole story. Humans are not people who go and find a hidden God. God is one who comes and finds lost people. Like Simeon, God positions us at just the right place to meet Jesus. Like Anna, God provides just the right timing to meet Jesus. Like Zechariah, we don't even believe him at first when God tells us and gives us signs in order for us to believe. This is the consistent message of the Old and New Testaments. We love God because God first loved us. We seek because God first sought us. We find because God first found us. We are on a spiritual journey. I think that's true. We're pilgrims in search of a heavenly city. We're citizens of heaven and not totally at home here. But we're only on a journey to God because God first journeyed to us. We're only free to seek him because he first freed us from slavery to sin. We are all prodigal sons and daughters, only returning from our father's home because he has already given us everything he has. And because he sees us from a long way off and runs after us. We are on a journey to God because God first journeyed to us. And sometimes, a shocking amount of times, God drags us kicking and screaming to Jesus. Think about all of the people in scripture who did not want God to call them. Once he did, they were upset 
that he called them. Think about how God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham says, well, about that, what can you give me since I remain childless? God says to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, well, about that, can you please send someone else? God says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, about that, you see, God, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my clan. Saul, who later becomes Paul, was persecuting Christians when Christ appears to him. I seriously doubt that he wanted to be called by someone he thought was the false Messiah, the best and brightest of the characters in scripture are called when they least expect it, when they least want it, and would rather anyone else do it instead of them. So often, we are not on a search for God. In fact, we're rebelling against God, moving as far away from God as possible. And even when he does call us, we're not that excited about it. I worked at a church uh, for a year that had a day dedicated to worship called God's Empowering Presence. And uh, my fellow coworkers and a lot of people at the church were getting so amped up for this day of worship. And I, and I arrogantly thought that they were being ridiculous. Uh, they, they kept talking about this day as if they, they already knew something amazing was going to happen. And, and I felt so above them. I knew that you know, we can't make God do anything. We can't make God impress us. So I sat there in this audience worshiping God, and I was so jaded, so closed off to anything God might do. And in the middle of this uh, worship event, I just began to weep. And I was so mad. I tried to stop. I tried to stop feeling overwhelmed. And one of my friends came up to me, and Helen asked me, does it feel good? And I said, no, it feels terrible. I, I hated it. I didn't want to feel overwhelmed. I didn't want God to do anything. I wanted to be above and beyond and arrogant. I wanted to be jaded and closed off. And, and I remember even going into another part of the church, a hallway, so that no one could see me. And this minister came up to me named Simon. He, he, before he was a priest, he was a butcher. He's this big, strong guy. And he saw me crying. And he hit me on the shoulder and he said, the Lord is here. And it was, I was just so mad that the Holy Spirit would dare to make his presence overwhelm me. I think so often this happens in our lives before and after we become Christians. God calls us when we don't want him to. He offers forgiveness when we want to be jaded. He offers grace and we don't want him to. I love that the prophet Simeon says in this chapter, Jesus will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. Jesus doesn't just come to reveal interesting ideas to us. He reveals our hearts to ourselves. This God shows us who we really are. By his mere presence, he reveals the darkness in our hearts, the shame in our lives the things we regret, the things we're guilty of. We don't want him to do this. We want to live in darkness, but he comes as fully light. This is who our God is. 
He's not asked for. He's often despised and rejected. He comes into our world when we don't want him to. He dies for us while we were still sinners. Rather than waiting for us to become perfect, he offers grace ahead of time. He doesn't wait for us to choose life. He dies and rises from the dead to give us eternal life. This is who our God is, revealed at Christmas time. He loves us first. He seeks us first. He finds us first so that we could love and seek and find him.